Welcome to Trip Talk. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. From rape to suicide to murder, heinous crimes happen somewhere. And very often that somewhere is at home. It's a bit grim to think about, but how does a property recover from the stigma of being the location of a violent crime? Today on the program we're talking about how to sell a crime scene and who buys a murder home. Joining me on the Google Hangout today is Dave Fredrickson. He's past president of the Salt Lake Board of Realtors and principal broker of Keller Williams in Salt Lake City. He joins us here in the newsroom. And Dave, great to have you back. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Also with us, Tribune justice reporter Michael McFall. You can check out his story online here at sltrib.com about murder homes. And Michael, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. And you're welcome to join our conversation as well. If you've got questions for our guests, you can send them to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can put them in the comment section right here at sltrib.com. Or you can send us a text, and that number is 801-609-8059. Um, before we dig into this topic, um, Michael, you were just at the new federal courthouse in Salt Lake City where a shooting occurred this morning. What happened? That's right. As uh, far as the FBI can tell us, what appears to have happened is that a defendant in a RICO case uh, made, a, made a, an attack at a witness with either a pen or a pencil. Um, and at that time, a U.S. Marshal opened fire and shot the defendant several times in the chest. Hmm. So the Marshal was using his own gun. It wasn't a breach of security at the courthouse itself. No, it appears not. Um, the courthouse has very tight security. Um, even before they moved into the new building, they had notoriously uh, a tight security. It appears that you know this isn't any kind of security breach, no. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the, the person who was shot? What's his condition? What's his name? A little bit about his background? Uh, you know, um, we've got reporters working on that right now. Um, as far as his condition goes, um, he was uh, breathing uh, when he left the courthouse. Um, but that's all that they can tell us at this time. He was taken to the hospital. Um, he was uh, there in relation to a uh, Tongan Crip gang uh, criminal case. Um, but the details of that we are still sorting out. And I understand that this was one of the first cases to be uh, to have a hearing in this new building. Uh, yeah, I mean the building opened just last week. Um, it's brand new, um, and yeah, as far as we know, this is uh, one of the first criminal cases that they've heard. So, what, what's the scene like? Are people a little rattled by this incident? Uh, yeah, there are certainly people who seemed pretty nervous um, outside uh, the courthouse. It's on lockdown, I believe it still is, and will be into the early afternoon. Uh, so, there are a number of people who are inside the building who uh, can't leave, um, and people who are outside who obviously cannot get in. Uh, but the, the few people who did uh, manage to leave the building um, did seem pretty rattled by, by what had happened today. Okay, well all in a day's work of course you can find a lot more details as the coverage continues throughout the day right here at sltrib.com. Uh, let's get to uh, this idea of what happens uh, when a property uh, has an afterlife, where, when a crime has occurred at a property. Um, it, it's kind of a, a strange topic. Michael uh, what got you thinking about this as a story idea? Uh, well, you know, um, we cover crime, obviously, um, on the Justice Desk, and a lot of those crimes are murders. And kind of when you're, you know, waiting outside a house trying to find out from the police about what happened, you kind of get to thinking about the uh, other folks who um, make a business related to murder but aren't exactly the investigators uh, themselves or CSI or even the mortuary. You know, I did a story not too long ago about the people whose job it is to clean up a crime scene, the hazmat 
folks who are contracted to come out and uh, and clean that up so that the homeowners don't have to and don't have to traumatize themselves uh, to do that. And uh, sort of along that same line, I got to thinking about the people who would have to sell a home and the unique challenges that they would face trying to sell a house where, you know, the worst uh, possible thing had happened. Mm -hmm. Dave, uh, I understand there's a term for this in the real estate business. It's called a stigmatized property. Uh, tell us a little bit what falls into this category of stigmatized properties. Well, in the state of Utah, the seller has an obligation to disclose material fact, uh, things that physically uh, can affect the value of a property that a buyer under normal prudent inspection would not find. And, and sellers have the obligation to, to disclose material facts. The Utah State Legislature has dis described stigmatized properties as non-material, which basically says that events at the house, history of a home, things like that are not necessarily material that a seller has an obligation to uh, divulge or disclose. So there's no legal obligation, but is there sort of an ethical duty? Is there something in the the, the canons of real estate education that sort of guide uh, prospective agents and, and say, you know, this may be something you want to think about um, and how to approach it? Well, I, I certainly would hope so, and, and I can only speak as far as personal. Um, when I sell a property, I want the buyers to get in there and enjoy it the way they expect to enjoy it. I, I expect them to come home at the end of the day and feel comfortable and, and that type of thing. And each buyer and their lifestyles uh, fits differently. So so the state legislature in, in approving, the Utah Attorney General's Office approved a purchase contract, uh, which gives the buyer an opportunity to inspect and approve the property in a due diligence period for any any reason that they feel pertinent. Um, my conversations with my seller, obviously if a house has a history, the buyers are going to find out about it either during the due diligence period where they can choose to move forward or not, or after when they move into the house and the neighbors tell them. And in personal opinion, I'd, I'd rather have them have the opportunity to evaluate the house and all of its history or, or stigmatisms or whatever you might call them uh, while they still have the opportunity to do that. Have you had experience uh, dealing with a, a, a property that's had a, a kind of a sticky past? Well, and, and uh, yes, as a matter of fact, there's a couple of different situations. Just last week, we actually closed on a home that um, I, I work with a, an organization that rehabs uh, distressed properties, and we were contacted by a gentleman who had recently lost his daughter in the home um, due to a drug overdose and that type of thing. And, and we went in, we did the rehab, we put the house back on the market. And as I put the uh, sign in the front yard, I had a neighbor come over and tell me what she understood to be the facts of, uh, of what went on. And it was absolutely nothing to do with reality. Um, the fact of the matter is, it was a natural passing with some uh, you know, extreme medications. It was not SWAT team breaking into a drug house and, and a suicide or murder. And, and so a lot of the things that, that we talk about stigmatized properties may either be based in reality and fact or might just be hearsay and neighborhood gossip. Mm. Talking about real estate and how exactly you market a home, 
where a violent crime has occurred. And you're welcome to join our conversation. You can send your questions and comments to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can put them in the comment section here at sltrib.com or text us, and that number is 801-609-8059. Um, uh, this is a, a text from Salt Lake City. We bought a home in April last year. The realtor did not tell us the man who once owned it committed suicide. We found out from the neighbors after we moved in. Can they hide information like that from you? Um, and, and Dave, I guess the, the, the real estate agent was clearly within the law on a case like that. Uh, yeah, again, the, the legislatures determined that that non-material facts uh, need not be voluntarily disclosed. If a buyer, however, asks those questions, they have now made that that information and material uh, concern of their own, and and we don't hold it back. So if the if the question was asked, we cannot hide, we do not mislead, we that type of thing. But as far as volunteering the information, that's a um, what the legislature has determined does not necessarily have to do. Some agents like myself, I will have a conversation with my seller at the very beginning. I will find out the history of the home, and I will let them know that that if asked, we will disclose it. And under certain situations, I may volunteer that information, and and I come to a meeting of the minds with my client, the seller. Before we went on uh, for this conversation, you were telling me about a case where uh, a, a prospective buyer uh, I don't know, had some intuition that maybe something had happened in that home. So, uh, and, and it was something that you were not aware of. Uh, does that happen quite frequently? Well, I don't know if frequently is the word that... Um, Tell us very, about it. Tell us about that story. <laughs> well, there's a very small percentages that actually, uh, percentage of the home sales that actually fit into what you would consider a stigmatized property, but um, people definitely have different receptors and feel different things. And I, uh, I as I was telling Jennifer, I I went into a house, we looked at the house, the buyers were very excited about the house, running around the house, um, really excited to be the new owner of this home. When we went upstairs, one of the Mr. Buyer walked into a bedroom and immediately goes, whoa, what's that, and left the room. Looked at me and said, can you fill that? And I walked into the room and I didn't know, I have no idea what you're talking about. He then called his wife, who also walked into the room, and both of them apparently felt something and immediately left, and this home was taken off of their prospective buyer or prospective home. Uh, I called the listing agent and told him of the situation. He asked me which bedroom it was, and, and I told him, and apparently the home owners had lost a daughter about four years prior, <clears throat> excuse me, on an accident on the way to school that morning, and they had not changed the bedroom since that time. There was nothing at all that I could see, feel, uh, nothing disturbing, nothing happened in the room. But these folks felt something. Hmm, interesting. Um, let's talk about the consequences for the property itself. Um, obviously, we're talking about location, 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 price, profits. How does a violent crime in a home affect the property value? Um, I, uh, Michael, maybe you want to jump in here. I know that there were some statistics of a study that were presented in the story that you wrote. Oh, sure, yeah. There was a study that was done at a Wright State University in Ohio uh, by you know a, a professor who was interested in the topic. Um, and a- after examining about 102 um, homes, he found that you know a stigma basically will uh, drop a home's value by about three percent. 
um, but uh, uh, more significantly, the home will also languish on the market um, about 45% longer uh, than comparable properties. Hmm. Dave, I mean, does that sort of ring true to your ear? Well, the pricing of real estate and the sell of real estate is all based around a buyer's wants and needs and supply and demand and that type of thing. And and if, in fact, uh, rumors or something like that will stop the traffic, um, that certainly would make sense. But um, if, if a property is priced properly and, and if we're in a normal market, even leading towards a seller's market, you're going to get enough activity on the property that someone is going to uh, make an offer. And again, all prices are determined by the buyers. If a buyer feels like he has no competition on a property, he'll generally make an offer lower. If there's a, quite a bit of competition on a property and you, you create an event and there's 100 people in an open house, for example, the prices generally tend to go up. Hmm. What about surrounding properties? If you've got a home where uh, a very high-profile case occurred, um, do the neighbors worry that they will be tainted in some way? I've, I, I wouldn't know. I've not been a neighbor to one of those sites and, and generally speaking when I list a property I go and contact the neighbors and let them know that we will be trying to find a new neighbor for them and get the feel and all that. A lot of times there's a sense of relief that um, whatever was going on prior to is uh, over with and, and in the past and they will be uh, leading to greener pastures so to speak and the future looks bright. Mm. Uh, Michael, in your story, you highlight a few recent high-profile cases um, and, and how the property values sort of reflect the, the trauma that occurred in this home. Uh, maybe you can touch on a couple of them, maybe Martin McNeil, uh, Matthew David Stewart up in Ogden. Uh, give us some highlights. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Martin McNeil and the, the value of his home, according to uh, the online database that we use, um, certainly drops uh, pretty much every year um, following uh, the death of his wife, Michelle, and including, um, you know, the year uh, in which he was charged and then convicted of her death. Uh, the price continued to, to drop despite it being an upscale home in the gated community. You know, it's a, it, it looks from the exterior, certainly in the description, it looks like a very nice home. Um, and Matthew David Stewart's house uh, up in Ogden, where of course that um, fatal shootout um, occurred a couple of years back, um, that house has also depreciated in value, um, as well as even um, a home where isn't uh, perhaps a standard stigma, if you might think of it uh, that way. Susan Powell's home in West Valley City has also dropped in value um, uh, every year or almost every year since uh, since her disappearance. And although, of course, that case isn't necessarily uh, classified as a murder, although it was certainly investigated as potentially one, um, you know, where necessarily a murder, a murder didn't necessarily happen in the home, um, that, uh, that sort of stigma, that reputation around the home uh, uh, seemed to have some effect on its, on its price value. And are these homes still on the market, um, you know, a year, two years after the crime occurred? Um, according to the database we used, actually none of these homes are currently for sale, including um, Uta von Schwedler, another uh, high-profile um, home that we mentioned in the story. Um, none, of, none of these homes are actually listed um, as being on the market, and maybe they're just not up for sale right now, or maybe they stayed within the family. You know, maybe relatives have kept the home and are planning to do something with it. Hmm. Uh, here's a here's a comment from uh, 
someone named unknown user. That's helpful. Uh, start by cleaning up the bloody mess, then fill in the bullet holes with toothpaste and repaint the interior, and then bribe the neighbors to not talk about what happened for six months. Dave Fredrickson, you mentioned this idea of neighborhood gossip, and they don't always have the right story, right? <laughs> Well, and and that's that certainly is the case, and and um, you know you also have to take a look in in the statistics that he was just giving us as far as the values dropping. The longer any home stays on the market, the value will come down because the majority of buyers will say, "Why didn't it sell? It's been on the market for two years. What am I missing?" That type of thing. So, how much of it is actually attributed to the event that took place is is a question, but. Um, Certainly, the, the, again, the situation is when I'm working with a buyer, I want them to feel comfortable about the home. I invite them during the due diligence period to spend some time in the neighborhood, uh, drive to the home during rush hour traffic or when their drive time to work is, meet the neighbors, talk to the neighbors, because they will be um, sharing a neighborhood together. And, and that makes up what a buyer um, is looking for as a lifestyle in a house. And no, I, I, I can't imagine not not only would I, I'm, uh, hopefully he's being facetious, but uh, I'm sure there are some that try to hide things. Um, I think the majority of, of realtors would hope that the people go in with a full knowledge of the situation and make an offer based on that knowledge and, and know what their uh, intentions are or know what their lifestyle will be like when they close. Hmm. So if if you're not required to disclose this by law, what strategies do you use in the marketing of a home? Uh, is it any different than um, any other home on the market? Do you? I, I'm assuming you're not going to put in big bold letters "murder occurred here," but <laughs> are, are there ways that um, you market a, a home where a violent crime has occurred in any different way than uh, your normal business? I would I, I would tend to and again Jennifer I've not had that pleasure so to speak um, uh, I would imagine that I would market the property based based on the benefits that the property has and the features that uh, I expect buyers to look at and and preface that with a conversation with my seller that obviously you're aware of an event I'm not going to hide the event as a matter of fact if it comes close I would like people to know of the event and and have a meeting of the minds that way so it's a partnership between the realtor and the seller on exactly how you market a property and it needs to be that way you're on the same team um, much like when you're working with a buyer you are on the same team and you need to find out what what things are important with the buyer and and uh, use your best efforts to to uh, give them the information they can to make an informed decision what if the seller specifically requests please realtor do not mention this uh, unhappy past that this building has well, I think that's a conversation again with the realtor. The legislature says that um, uh, you know the realtor, uh, the real estate agent, and the seller have no legal obligation to disclose that. Uh, personally, I'm not going to not disclose. And if it came to the situation of of a seller directing me to do something that I was not comfortable with doing, I'd suggest he find another agent. Michael, you spoke with a couple from California. Who, who bought a home where a murder occurred. Uh, refresh us on the details of the Cave Mortensen case and uh, tell us a little bit about this couple's experience and why they pulled the trigger, why they decided to buy this home. Sure, yeah. Uh, so that Cave Mortensen case was a 2009 uh, murder where a retired uh, Brigham Young University 
uh, professor was found uh, bound in his own home and his throat had been slit. Um, his body was found in the bathroom, so obviously quite quite a grisly scene. Um, but uh, the couple who, who bought the home, um, they, they knew of the murder uh, kind of going in because they're an acquaintance of one of his relatives. Um, and, you know, they, they looked at the home and it had a lot of benefits that they were looking for. They wanted something that felt secluded. And, you know, for those who don't know, Cape Morton's home is in Payson Canyon. It's a little ways in um, from, from town, but it's also a pretty quick drive. Uh, to the city, so it, it kind of had both of what they wanted. You know, uh, you feel like you're living in the mountains, but the grocery store is five minutes away. Um, and you know, uh, they they it it, it didn't bother them um, the the crime that happened to decay uh, because probably because they had some time they knew about it ahead of time, so they had some time to process it to to kind of um, get used to it. And when they when they moved in, uh, what certainly helped a lot. Uh, what they said helped a lot change the energy of the home and make it feel more comfortable, make it not feel like, you know, like a crime scene, was that they did a lot of remodeling. They um, talk about well, the, how the only things that are original to the house pretty much are the front door and a light fixture in the kitchen, and they're even thinking about taking out the light fixture in the kitchen and replacing it with something else. Um, so, you know, what, what helped them a lot was, you know, that, 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 like you said, you know, location, location, location. Um, it had just a location they were looking for, and they figured that they could um, make it even better by changing the inside, and that's what they did. And that's uh, they bought the house about two years ago, um, and, that, and they spent the past two years. They're not quite done yet, but they've spent the past two years uh, remodeling the inside. Mm, so the idea, sort of, uh, of having a, a crime scene atmosphere dissipated once they made the place their own. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And you know, I, I went and visited them. I went inside. The home has a very warm feeling. You know, it, they 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 painted the walls. They redone the floors. It, it feels very much like they have, like you said, made it their own. You know, they they put their own stamp on it. It's very much their home, not Kay Mortensen's home anymore. Um, and they see the the effect on the neighborhood. I mean, you know, uh, you guys mentioned a little bit earlier um, how it can it can help the neighbors kind of feel like they've moved past the crime. Um, and, you know, when they moved in, there was a neighbor who had, who had put up security cameras outside his house following, you know, Kate Mortensen's murder. Um, but, you know, when I talked to them, they talked about how they have this piece of heavy furniture, and there's a neighbor neighbor kid who's going to come over and help them move that furniture up the stairs uh, uh, for them. So it certainly feels like, uh, the, um, you know, by them moving in and making the house uh, theirs and, you know, filling it with life again, um, it's, it's helped revitalize uh, uh, the, the feeling in the neighborhood, too. Dave Fredrickson, I guess the moral of the story is um, it takes time for a property to recover and, and also that uh, it takes time for a neighborhood to sort of rebound, to forget and to, 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 to come around uh, and embrace a, a new property owner. And that's That certainly is the case and Jennifer, uh, Michael's um, recollection of the Mortensen situation is exactly what I was talking about. They went in with their eyes wide open, nothing was withheld from them. They understood what they were getting into, and they made the home their own, which is what we suggest all buyers do. You don't want it to be uh, your new home or the Mortensons' home forever and a day. You buy your property, you make it your own, you decorate it your way, and and the longer the event goes into the history, the more it's your house and not their house. And and going in with your eyes wide open, going through dil diligence period where you have an opportunity to find those things that you feel comfortable with. Um, is exactly uh, the example that I was trying to use earlier, and I appreciate Michael for bringing that. 
And I suppose the older the home, the more history it has, good and bad. I know a family who, who lives in a historic home, and uh, a suicide occurred in the attic. But it was, you know, 80 years ago or something. And, and now they sort of, it, it's sort of the folklore of the house. And um, I don't know, maybe there's a market for the paranormal customer out there, Dave Fredrickson. I don't know. I'm sure there is. Uh, I was showing homes on the avenues one time, and they're all 100-plus-year-old homes. And, and my prospective buyer asked if anybody had ever died in the home and I said I don't know but it's a hundred years old probably um, yeah it, you know there's a certain amount it, much like an old car where it crosses a a line at some point in time and then it becomes a classic and prior to that it's an old car Mm -hmm. You mentioned, Dave, that the uh, state legislature has taken up this question about whether or not to to put restrictions or uh, requirements on what uh, realtors must disclose on a property. Uh, do you see that that question will come up again, or if uh, some requirements will be put in place uh, um, in the professional standards that realtors have to abide by. Um, do you see that coming up in the future? Most questions involving real estate come up regularly and and uh, over and over again. Um, the realtors have what's called a Realtor Code of Ethics and Article 1 of the Code of Ethics is uh, promote and protect your clients best interest but treat all parties honestly. And I think that's the, the crux of this whole thing is um, represent your best interest, uh, your client's best interest, and try to uh, help them move on, sell their property, get the highest amount and all that, but treat all parties honestly so they go into the transaction knowing exactly what they're going to do, and that's a win-win. And, and so whatever the legislature does, if it becomes more restrictive or even loosens up, hopefully the, the realtors will and, and the agents out there keep that in mind. Uh, represent your client's best interest, but treat everybody honestly. Michael McFall, would the California couple who wanted to remain anonymous, uh, would they have bought the house if they had not known the history? Oh, are you saying like if they, um, you know... If they if, found out after the fact, I guess. Okay, well, I mean, you know, it, it seems like they, you know, if they found out after the fact, um, you know, they, they probably would have been annoyed. Um, but it seems like it would not have been a deal breaker for them. You know, they wouldn't. They probably would not have moved out of the house and looked for another place to live. Um, you know, it, they were obviously in love with the location. I mean, you know, they get they get deer walking across their their, their lawn. You know, it's 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 a beautiful house. Um, it's in a beautiful place. Um, and they uh, they fell in love with it. I, it seems like that even if they found out after the fact, you know, because they had uh, an emotional attachment to the house that they would have tried to make it work. And when I talked to um, Aaron Drussell, who's, um, re whose realtor uh, group sells homes in Salt Lake in Utah County and who, and who sold the Mortensen house, um, you know, that's kind of, a, kind of a strategy that some realtors use is that they allow uh, folks to, uh, to get to know a home before they know about the stigma so that, you know, they give it a fair shot, you know, that they, they, they weigh more fairly. It's, it's, pros versus its cons so that you know they don't just go in um, thinking it's you know the, the, the home where a murder happened or a suicide happened they see everything through that lens you know they they're able to form that emotional attachment to a house that this couple from California certainly seem to have uh, to Morton's and some as well. Mm. Michael McFall interesting story thank you so much and Dave Fredrickson thanks to you as well. Thank you. Thanks. And again, you can check out the story right here at sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks for tuning in to Trip Talk today. We'll see you next time.